You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So hey, this morning, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin here today. That's Luke chapter 1, the gospel of Luke. And before, you know, we, we get into it, is it okay if I brag on God just for a minute? Is that all right? It's been a heavy week. I think that we could use some good testimonies, right? Three of you agree. I'm going to give you a second chance. We could use some testimonies, right, guys? Hey, there we go. So as I mentioned a few, um, it's, it's a little bit over a month now, we've been um, trying to expand our building because as you can see, we're filling up. Praise God. And so as we fill, we're looking to expand. And, and long story short, we looked at putting um, uh, modular classes out back here, but we weren't able to do so with some of the strict regulations that our township was asking us to do. And so we are moving forward with talking to um, a farmer who owns the property out back here to see if we could buy some more land. And a little bit of you know testimony there, as many of you heard a few weeks ago, we asked the farmer, hey, would we be able to buy some, some land from you? And he said, absolutely not. And that's understandable. It's his land. It's not like he owes us anything. And so we said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll start maybe looking at another property in the area and see if God wants us to remain here. You know, if he wants us to move down along 100, we'll, we'll see. And so I said, maybe in like five or six plus years, he'll come back and say, you know what? God kind of changed my heart. Something like that, right? Four days later, he calls and says, I'm going to sell you some land. And so we met with him um, this past Thursday. The board and I sat down, and he's a great guy, generous guy, and he's agreed to sell us the amount of land that we need for a price that we can afford. Would you give God some praise? But I think one of my most favorite parts about this meeting was when he brought building plans with him. And he laid these building plans down, and I'm like, hey, buddy, this is our building. (laughs) And so he brings these building plans, and he lays out this huge golf course. And he said, you know, you see where this sand dune is? Yeah, that's where the church is now. And he said, over here on this side of the map, there's 300 houses that were planned on being built. And this whole surrounding area was a golf course. And I said, brother, you, I got to ask, what happened? He said it was approved by the township. It was a done deal. It was going in. And long story short, there were these two construction companies that couldn't come to terms on things. So it kept getting delayed, 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 delayed. And finally, they called this farmer and said, are you still interested in buying the land and sold to him? God knew that this was going to be a church before anyone else did. How many coincidences have to happen before it becomes mathematically impossible? And I just look at situations like that and I go, God's hand is on our church. It's just self-evidently only God, 
only God. And so the next step in the process, and we ask that you would be in fervent prayer over this, is we have to go before an appeal board to get this land behind us out of the Preservation Act that it is enrolled in. And this is a huge mountain. I mean, the farmer told us, he said, I've never heard of anybody doing this. I've never seen anything. And the way that I look at that is I'm like, I love when people say impossible. <laughs> love it. You know, that's because I feel like God does best with the impossible. And sometimes God puts us in situations that, see, that we see as impossible just so that we can know that we know that we know that the only thing that got us through that impossible situation was God himself. Come on, somebody. So we have that hurdle, and we will be making the church, you know, the, the details known to the church as we progress forward, but God has already opened up doors, and I am just so celebrating God and what He's doing, and there's hardly a week that goes by where I get first-time visitor cards, and by the way, can we welcome our first-time visitors? There's a lot of new faces here today. Welcome. It is so good to have you. Thank you for joining us. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up, first-time visitors, and share your deepest, darkest secrets, okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love it because the extroverts are like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> but hey, God's hand is just uh, upon this church, and we're going to be letting the details known to the church as we move forward. But there's hardly a week that goes, that goes by where I don't get a first-time visitor card, and we have on the bottom of that card, how did you hear about us? We're just, we're curious at, at what works. And the two most, I mean, the two most popular answers that I get is either one, a friend invited me. By the way, way to go, church. Way to go. Either a friend invited me or secondly, and this is my favorite, I was driving by and saw what's been happening at the church. God is on the move. Just had to brag on him in a little bit. This morning, we're going to be spending the majority of our time in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. And before we get started, I just want to explain something real quick. Over the next couple of weeks, I really encourage you to bring your Bible. I know that I always encourage everybody to bring their Bible, but like these next couple of weeks, I really encourage you to bring a Bible. Otherwise, we're going to ask you to leave. Um, <laughs> kidding. It, the, part of the reason why I ask that is because the Lord put on my heart, there's two different types of, of sermons, two different types of, of preaching, and one is topical. And I love topical. I'm a topical preacher. I love seeing the topics that you know are relevant for our body, for our congregation, for our culture. And I love speaking and preaching to those, those topics and jumping all around Scripture because I feel like it proves the point that all of Scripture has something to say about every situation, every season, every circumstance. And I love that style of preaching, but the Lord put on my heart over the next couple weeks to dabble in something called exegetical preaching. And that's where we just stick to one verse. And all of the points, all of the sermon material is from that one scripture passage. So you don't have to worry if you're new to the word of God and you're like, I feel kind of foolish because when we go from this book to another book, I can't find it. Don't worry about that. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to be just one book, one passage at a time so that we can study, digest it. I mean, just chew on it and it's going to be good. And so I want to challenge you that over the next couple of weeks, make sure that you're bringing the word of God so that we can have a good old fashioned Bible study sermon. Does that work? Does that sound good to you? Praise God. Praise God. And I also, a part of the reason why I felt compelled to go in this direction is because I feel like we as a church have forgotten that scripture speaks to all areas of life. 
everything that's happening in our culture, in our country, in our world, in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, Scripture has something to say about all areas. I heard somebody say one time, they said, you know, Pastor, um, I, I appreciate your sermons, but don't get political on me. And I understand what they're saying to a degree, and we certainly aren't about a political party, but I cannot deny the fact that a lot of what's happening in politics, the Bible has something to say about it. Because politics, they impact the way that we live. Come on, somebody. Politics often determine different policies and the way our, our culture, our livelihood, and so on and so forth. Therefore, Scripture has something to say about that. So it's not that I aim to get political. It's just the fact that when politics start to dabble in the area of morality, Scripture has a lot to say. Hey, come on, somebody. Amen? Amen. So over the next couple weeks, I'm looking forward to talking about how Scripture speaks to every area of our life. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17, if you'd follow with me. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and his decrees blamelessly. How many of you want a reputation like that? But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. How many of you know that God hears our prayers? Come on, somebody. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Come on, somebody. God has a plan for our unborn children. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord and in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That last part speaks to my heart on such a personal level when I look at the culture around us. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would turn the hearts of parents to their children and that you would turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom that we find in righteousness, that you would make a generation in the world around us ready for the Lord because we know that your son is going to be returning. And God, we ask again that this would be a generation that prepares the way, that we would be a generation. In Jesus' name we ask this. And everybody said? Amen. I love the story of this passage because 
It gives us a beautiful picture of a successful godly home. It paints a picture of the kind of parents that raised John the Baptist. How many of you know that if there's parents who have the prerequisites to raise John the Baptist, they might be worth taking notes from? And so this morning, I want to talk about the traits of a successful family unit. And I got to be honest, a few months ago, whenever I was writing out my preaching schedule, I felt like the Lord said, go in this direction. And I'm like, God, I'm not really sure how the family unit relates to Easter, but we'll go with it. And that was before this past week. You want me to say it? Disney. And the attack that is on our children, can I tell you this morning, church, if you've ever struggled with gender identity, I want to tell you something, that you're loved and you're welcomed here. Because we are a church that believes in come as you are and not as you should be. But in the same time, I have to tell you that your God-given gender at birth is a gift. God did not make any mistakes with you. He created you in his image, perfect and beautiful. Your gender at birth, your biological gender is a gift from God. And the reason why this concerns me as a pastor is because our gender that God has given us is directly tied to the purpose in which he's called us to. Gender and purpose are intimately connected. You can look at scripture. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you've ever been faced with a challenge, you're welcome here. But I also want you to leave here encouraged knowing that the gender that God has given you, he's not a God of mistakes. And I didn't know that we would be talking about the family unit before the family unit was, I mean, assaulted this past week. But isn't that the way that God works? Even before we see it, he knows. And so I love this picture that we're given of Zechariah and Elizabeth, parents who are doing it right. John the Baptist's ministry would end 400 years of prophetic silence. John is a key transitional link between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament reality. He prepared the way for Jesus' ministry in many ways. John was known, and I got to say, I'm kind of biased, I love John. Because he was known as a fiery preacher. He didn't back down. As a matter of fact, his famous slogan, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John was a bold preacher. He wasn't even afraid to speak of those in authority who were corrupt. He wasn't afraid to address the immorality of King Herod. And he did not shy away of dying a martyr's death. John. Here in Luke chapter 1, we gain insight for a moment to the details of his birth, upbringing, and the character of his parents. Parents, your character matters. And this morning, if you're here and you find yourself single or you're out of the season of life of having kids and you're like, Pastor, how does this relate to me? Because I'm telling you right now, in order to bring up children in a godly way, it takes the whole body of Christ. Come on, if you're going to give God a round of applause, do it with all your heart. It takes all of us. I could sit here for the next few hours and tell you story after story after story of, as I grew up as a pastor's kid, of the people who impacted me in the church. And can I tell you that the people who most often impacted me the most weren't in full-time ministry. They were the greeters. They were the ushers who were always getting me in trouble. 
They were the board members who said my name like it was a swear word. (laughs) It was the body of Christ as a whole. All of us have a part to play in this. And the reality is, is if you're still not convinced, there's a generation out there where the family unit is dismantled and God is calling the people of God, the people, the bride of Christ to rise up and rebuild the family unit. And if you're equipped with the word of God, you have wisdom to speak into families' lives. Come on, somebody. John. I want to discuss with you the traits of a successful home. Zachariah and Elizabeth, we can note this right out of the gate, that they were priests in their home. Zechariah was a literal priest, and Elizabeth was a descendant of priests. Scripture says in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. What we learn from that is they were obedient and they loved the Lord. This passage tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived lives and they ran their homes in a manner that you would expect a priest to. Priesthood is a position where the primary responsibility in Scripture was to be concerned with the things that God is concerned about. I want to say that again. Being a priest means that you are concerned with the things that God is concerned about. Did you know that God is concerned primarily about people who don't know him? Therefore, what should our primary concern be? You're quick learners. Number two, a priest would, their, uh, their second responsibility was to glorify God. So I'm concerned with the things of God, and now I want to glorify him in my teaching, in my lifestyle, in my living. I want to bring glory to his name in every area of my life. And number three, priests were a link between people and God. They were often looked at as a bridge. Priests had a connection with God that not many other people could even comprehend or experience. Why tell me this, Pastor? What does being a priest have to do with with me running my home? It has everything to do with it because in the New Testament, we are all priests. In the New Testament, we all have access to the Holy Spirit. It's no longer for an elect priesthood. You and I are now the priests. Do you run your family? Do you lead your family? Do you lead your children like a priest would? Are you concerned with the things of God? Are the priorities that we find in Scripture the priorities of your home? And I also find encouragement with that little line, in the time of Herod the king. You might as well replace that and put in an awful, dark, hopeless time. Herod was corrupt, adulterous, murdering, anti-God. And yet, even in a culture that was hostile... Zachariah and Elizabeth were able to be godly parents and raise up godly children. Every parent in this room should be encouraged by that. No matter how bad culture gets, no matter what battles come against us, God is in the business of raising up kingdom warriors. It's encouraging to me that during a time of hardship that parents were able to remain faithful to God and raise up a world-changing son. It's encouraging to me because in a day and age where our children are sent to schools for eight hours a day and fed curriculum that is anti-Christian and anti-God, in a day and age when we are under a government that approves of bills and policies that directly assault the family unit, putting that at a disadvantage, and encourages me because even in the midst of all of this, it's still possible to love and honor God as a family and raise up kingdom warriors that put the fear of God in hell itself. 
Don't tell me that the battle's forgotten. It's just getting started. Y'all better wake up. But if parents don't embrace the mantle of priesthood, competitors will. If you and I don't embrace the identity of a priest, if you and I don't recognize that that's our calling, competitors will become the priests in your kids' lives. I believe with all my heart that the root cause of family disruption is the failure to carry the mantle of priesthood. Parents, the way that you live, the way that you speak matters. But what this is teaching us is we have to spend time teaching our kids, not just living by faith, teaching them how to live by faith. And I want to jump back to that public school comment real quick. If our kids are in that environment for eight hours a day, you and I have to have a plan of attack to counter what they're learning that isn't of God to counter the environment that they're in. And if you and I are not spending time teaching them that, then we are failing as priests. Allow me to ask one more time, is serving God and growing in relationship with him, remaining faithful to him, is it the primary goal and responsibility of your home? Is that the primary concern? And I would often say this when I was a youth pastor, if we use church as a punishment when kids are misbehaved, we take away church from them, then I'd be willing to bet that being a priest isn't a priority of the home. That's one of the worst things that you and I could do is to pull them away from the presence and influence of God. I'm going to move on because it's feeling tense in here. Do we lead our families in maturity in Christ? Here's what I'm saying. The first trait of a successful home a successful home is led by parents that embraced, pre, embrace priesthood. You want a successful home. If you want your kids, your grandchildren to be raised, to love the Lord, serve the Lord, if you want that, then you and I have to take on the responsibility and see ourselves under the, the uh, responsibility of priesthood. You and I have to live that out. And here's a side note. It is so vital that parents embrace their role as priests and raise kids as believers, that the success of their priesthood is a prerequisite for board members and deacons in the church. It's so important that in the New Testament, we see where it says that anybody who's in a position of authority in the church, that their house has to be in order, that their priesthood has to be worked out. Here's the reality is that we live in a day and age where we often measure uh, success by how much money somebody has had or what they've done in the business world. Can I challenge you, church, to reframe the way that you measure success of somebody and look at their children? Scripture says we don't measure by those things. We measure by the fruit of the household. Are we being successful in being priests? Next, a successful home recognizes children as a joy and as a delight. Luke chapter 1 verse 14 says, He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. When we live in a selfish culture, selfish culture is going to devalue things that are selfless. And how many of you know, I hope this doesn't shock anybody, but being a parent, you have to be a little bit selfless. 
Can I hear a good amen? amen? It'll challenge you. And I'm not going to hang out on that point much longer. But we live in a culture that devalues our children. They're a joy and a delight. We see it done through humor, TV shows, movies, and it's done through jokes and memes that we find on mainstream social media outlets that are constantly devaluing priesthood as a parent and devaluing children being a joy and delight. The Bible says that children are a blessing and delight. And as a matter of fact, our world has noticed or has gotten into this pattern of devaluing children so much that is that not, is that not the message of the pro-choice movement? That kids are not a joy and delight. They are an inconvenience. Pastor, that's pretty harsh. I agree. That is a horrible demonic message. I think it's important more now than ever that we as the church recognize our children as a joy and delight and we treat them as such. Can I get a little bit personal this morning? No? Okay. We'll move on. Before my, oh, don't worry, I will. Before my firstborn, Cadence, was born, I heard from a Christian community. I wasn't here yet, so it wasn't this community. But I heard Christian after Christian after Christian coming up to me, and it was like, you just wait for your doomsday when that child is born. And it was done through little jokes like, you're never going to sleep again. And then when she becomes a teenager, whoo and I heard messages over and over and over again, just kind of like shaming the birth of my daughter to the point where, I, like my wife, whenever a comment was made, my wife would be like, Donnie, down. <laughs> and it was just over and over and over and over again. Oh, you just wait. You just wait. Stop that. Children are a joy and delight. Are there challenges? Yes, but can I tell you that the reward far outweighs the challenges. No comparison. And what people failed to tell me about was the moment where I would first experience joy and delight with my daughter. Nobody ever told me about that moment. For example, can we show that picture? This was my first moment with my daughter where this was the first time that I got to experience joy and delight. Because we, the, the, the roller coaster of emotion with, with birth was finally done. And Mama Bear, Kylie, was asleep in her bed recovering, and it was snowing outside, and I had my first ever daughter, daddy-daughter date. And I held her, and I realized joy and delight beyond measure. But what I was so disappointed with was nobody ever told me about this moment. They only ever told me about the bad moments. They only ever spoke, if I'm being bluntly honest, curses over my life. When you speak, oh, you're a child, when you fill in the blank, that's cursing someone. We don't look at it that way, but that's what it is. But I want to encourage you parents this morning, all of you have this moment. All of you with, with your kids, 
you have this moment of realization of there is nothing in the world that can compare to this. Don't ever forget that moment and don't ever treat your children as anything less than a joy and delight. Amen? Church, I'm speaking beyond parents, all of us. May we be a church that is known for treating the upcoming generation as a joy and delight. Amen? Amen? And I also want to say this, that if you are the child of a father and mother, which that's a joke because everyone here is, you'll catch up, you'll laugh later, it's cool. You and I have a responsibility to be a delight. How can we bless the heart of God beyond worshiping Him and studying His Word? We can be a joy and delight to the parents that He's given us. You and I have a responsibility to bring joy and delight into the home when it's Christmas Eve and your day has been full of just chaos and you fill in the blank. Some of you are like, oh, you're going to make me cry. That's my life. I know. When you go to those family gatherings where it might even be tense, and sometimes it's, it's not tense, it's awesome. Regardless, you and I have a responsibility as children to be a delight to our parents. Amen? How can you bless the heart of God? Be a delight. Another trait of a successful home is a successful home raises children with the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, and I'm going to ask key, uh, keyboard player, where are you at, Leah? Leah, there you are, you anointed woman, you. Would you come on up here? Thank you. Successful home raises children with the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. There is an incredibly high standard in this scripture, and I want to talk about the standard for a second, more so than I want to talk about the substance. I want to focus on the principle for a moment. By John abstaining from fermented drink, it taught him how to have pure habits and cravings. It formed his cravings, what he desires. That little adjustment, that high standard, it formed a greater uh, a habit and craving for things that are holy. So I want you to ask the question, what are we feeding our kids right now that's developing an unholy craving? By John abstaining from alcohol, he learned self-discipline. He learned the ability from childhood how to keep himself in check and hold himself accountable. By abstinence from alcohol, it taught John to be separate from the world. And by abstaining from alcohol, it eliminated John from being put in a position where his reputation would be lost because he had too much. It's a high standard. It's a pure standard. So let me ask the question. If you were to look at your household... What are we feeding our children that's developing cravings in them? And are those cravings and habits holy? Are they set apart? Do you have a high standard in your life? I mean, honestly, because I feel like we live in a day and age where Christianity is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Where's the gray zone? Rather than saying, 
It's black and white, and we want to err on the side of caution and purity. And so John's parents have this high standard for his life. And the reality is, is I've personally known individuals that they have so much anxiety, social anxiety, that they are social drinkers. The only time that they can talk to people is when they have what we call as a culture a buzz. John never had to go through that. He learned to rely on the Holy Spirit to calm his anxiety. He learned, on the, he learned how to rely on the Holy Spirit for the empowerment. I stand here with a testimony of saying I've never been drunk, I've never been high, and I was a virgin till marriage. And the only reason why that happened is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I would have never been able to say no to the thousands of times that it was offered. Our kids need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit like David did when he slayed giants. Our children are going to face giants and they're going to need the same anointing. And God can do it. Come on, somebody. God can do it. It will take the Holy Spirit empowerment for a generation to stand up to the evil that we're seeing. And last but not least, a successful home produces kingdom warriors. A successful home produces kingdom warriors. I'm not talking about kids who just had good, a good track record of attendance. I'm talking about a tenacity that's in our students. That doesn't back down or shy away from the battle that's at hand, but charges ahead. In a time of King Herod, a dark, challenging time to be following God, and a time of disunity with God's people, and a time when culture was in a dark place and prophets hadn't been around for hundreds of years, people hadn't been hearing for God from hundreds of years. In that time, what was God doing? He was raising up a godly child from a godly family that would prepare the way for the Lord. And he's calling us to do the same. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning, church? He's calling you. He's calling me to do the, the same, to raise up godly children that will face and attack the battle that is in front of us. We're living in a dark time, full of disunity, inside of the church and outside of the church. But have no fear because God is raising up a generation of Johns that will prepare the way for the Savior once again. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and in power of Elijah. You know, Elijah did some pretty incredible things. John would go forward in that same empowerment to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. We need that in our church. Your kids are your ministry. And I've often heard it said, and let, let me just finish that scripture, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I've often heard from young parents say, I'm afraid to have children in such a corrupt, dark world. How many of you have ever had that thought? I'm raising my hand, by the way. Saying, every time I turn on the news, I go, my Lord. 
But then my wife said something kind of bold to me, which is very unlike her. She's very shy. Love my wife. It's one of the things that attracted me to her was her boldness and her fierce love for the Lord. And Kylie looked at me and we were talking to these parents that had said that quote. And she said, in a day and age when the world is full of dragons, how much more important is it that we raise up dragon slayers? God has not forgotten our children. Teenagers in the room, there's a lot of you here this morning. You kept walking and I'm like, was there a bus today? Y'all are awesome. God's not forgotten you. Love that we have a teenager row in the back today, by the way. God's not forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you in your generation. He hasn't forsaken you in your school. He hasn't forsaken you. God is preparing you for a battle. And I'm telling you, that there we are on just the edge of time where I sense that, you know, the Lord's coming back. We're seeing the signs. It is more important now more than ever that you and I start to put on our armor. God's raising you up. You're a generation of Johns preparing the way for the Lord. Don't you ever forget that. Would you stand with me this morning, church? So I want to ask you, church, As we continue to grow, will you join me in this initiative to pour into families, to pour into our kids' ministry? And I want to throw it out there. As you heard me talk about last week, our church has grown. We're looking at going to two services, and I'm just putting it out there bluntly. Our kids' ministry needs help. Will you join me in serving and raising up a generation? And I got to be honest that when you and I commit ourselves to this, it's challenging. I don't want to paint kids ministry as this beautiful, you know, rainbow that we look at. And it's like, wow, can I tell you that some of the seeds that you plant, the fruit isn't going to come forth until you and I are dead and gone. I'm just being honest. For some of the seeds that you and I are planting, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while until we see that. Others, you're going to plant that seed and it's going to be like, man, miracle growth right there. But for others, for a majority, your only job is to plant seeds, not even see the fruit. You leave the fruit up to him and his work. He's just called you and I to be faithful to plant seeds. It also means, church, there's going to come a time where We gather here and maybe there was a youth event that didn't get cleaned up properly or a kid's ministry, I don't know, let's just throw out something random, Easter egg hunt. Where the property might not look the same and you and I have to recognize in those moments, it's not about me. There might be some Sundays where we have kids worship up here and it's really loud. And I know some of you are like, oh Lord, earplugs now, Lord but you and I have to be okay with encouraging them to worship the Lord however he's moving in their life. When you and I make a commitment to dedicate ourselves to raising up another generation, it means that we dedicate ourselves to the work of the Lord and push all personal preference aside. 
It means that you and I are welcoming the Holy Spirit's work in our lives so that we have a greater propensity to be more patient. It means that you and I are concerned with the things that God is concerned about. In church, he's concerned about the family unit. He's concerned about this generation. And so today, how we're finishing out this service is simply by you responding in your own way. Would you bow your heads with me? In your own way, in your seat right there, would you just begin, if this has aligned with you, what I'm gonna ask is, if you're, if you're a regular tender, you know where I'm going with this already, but the part of the reason why we lift our hands as a church, it's an outward expression of an inward experience. And inward, inwardly, we're saying, Lord, take my life. I respond, here I am. It's like giving a wave. Here I am, Lord. And if you're willing to join me in this initiative to say, I'm going to dedicate myself to pouring into families, to welcoming them into this body of Christ. If you're a parent here this morning, you're like, I am going to raise my kids to be a kingdom warrior, understanding that it doesn't just happen by chance, but it's intentional. It's intentional lesson times. It's intentional teaching. It's teaching our kids battling another doctrine that they're learning from the world. It's taking up the responsibility to take, say, I'm going to have those one-on-one time moments with my kids to teach them God's way. If that's you here this morning and you're on either end of those spectrums, would you just begin to lift your hands as an outward expression of an inward experience saying, God, here I am. I dedicate myself to this cause. And if you're a teenager here this morning, the reason what, what your hand represents is that you're willing to say, I am willing to reach my generation. If that's you teenagers, would you lift up your hands? If you're one of the ones that say, I will lead by example. I will not back down from the battle. I will reach my generation. So dear Heavenly Father, we recognize that you're moving in and through C3. We recognize that you've got a plan for Lehigh Valley, that you've got a plan to reach the lost. And Lord, I see this passion welling up inside your bride of Christ, us, the body of Christ, Lord. I see it welling up. So God, as we make these commitments today, I just pray over every raised hand, every raised hand that is a parent, I pray that you would give them the strength on the difficult days that you would give them the wisdom and the challenging times. But Lord, that you would be not only Lord of their life, but Lord of their home and their kids and their children's children's children. Lord, help us as parents to take up the mantle of priesthood. And God, I pray for those who might find themselves in a season of singleness, God, or maybe they're out of that season. Would you help them to get their roots down deep here in this body so that they can be a part of raising up a generation? That we would be a church that children will have memories of saying, that church loved me. That church embraced me and taught me about my relationship with the Lord. And God, I pray for every teenager represented in this place that has their hands lifted up. Help them to be a light in their schools. Help them to be a light in their homes and in their generation. I pray that their identity would be set steadfast in the Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, help us to go in obedience. Help us to be a generation that rebuilds the family unit on the word of God. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength and wisdom that we need for the battle at hand. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, if you believe God is going to do it, would you just give the Lord another shout of praise this morning, church? Amen, amen, amen. He hasn't forgotten this generation, amen? His hand is upon him. And now it's time for us to get our work boots on, our work gloves, and come on, embrace the mantle of priesthood. Amen?
Amen. Before you leave, would you turn around to your neighbor and say, thank you for coming today. God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.